0: Okay, everyone, I have a very, very exciting announcement to make. Drum roll, please.
1: <laughs>
0: the Michael Scott drumroll. roll. Sound of Ages has our first live concert in over a year. Coming at you May 10th, May 10th, that is a Monday evening, 7.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you are in the Salt Lake area, we will have a live audience. It's at the Cathedral of the Madeline, downtown Salt Lake. If you're not, we will be live streaming the concert. The link will be provided in the show notes, as well as a link to soundofageschoir.com slash events, where you can access the link as well, and you can have access to the digital program, the program for the concert, so we won't have any physical copies of programs at the concert if you're there in person, you can download that onto your phone, and you will be able to follow the concert notes, um, and the the texts for all the pieces will be in that program as well, so be sure to check it out. SoundofagesChoir.com slash events. And the link will be in the show notes. And it's going to be boppity, zippity, zoppity. Give me the boppity. Now, I love using uh, Early Music Monday to talk about the concerts that we do as sort of a pre concert lecture because it's so much easier to talk about it and to really dive deep into the music. Before the concert starts so you really have a full like emotional experience with the music when you're there it's so hard to go to a concert and you don't know what's coming you get the program five ten minutes before the music starts you're frantically trying to read oh look you see someone you know you go over and you talk to him oh crap i didn't finish reading the program notes and then the concert starts and the music just happens to you it's like wow I mean, it may have been beautiful, maybe the best choir in the whole world, but if you don't read the program notes or you don't know what's coming, it's really hard to have a really great, like, fulfilling experience at a concert without knowing about the music that's coming. So, this past year has been fill-in-the-blank-here expletive 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 most likely probably for most people and that's something that i noticed in thinking back on the last year i was like wow first live concert in over a year what should the theme be what should the concert be what what are we what do we need what does our community need what do the singers need what do i need what does everyone need and I thought to myself, you know, the things that come to mind first are like hope or peace or light or joy. And, you know, I fiddled around with picking some music for that. And, and, you know, I had some ideas. And then Andrew Maxfield from the Andrew special approached me with, hey, I have this piece. And it's called The Singing Bowl. And as I read through it, I was like, yeah, this actually might work. And I, I had another piece. I don't know if I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head what other piece I had, kind of as a, ooh, this piece would be cool. Um. But then as I was looking at his piece and realized how reflective it was, I was like, you know what? That's what we need. We need meditation. It's so strange to me that in the pandemic, everything slowed down except our minds and the news cycle – And the, not just the news cycle, but technology kept going somehow, even though it seemed that the world had pressed pause, the momentum of humanity, for lack of a better expression, I don't know what else to call it, kept speeding up. I just feel like every 15 minutes is a new breaking story in the news or some big technology announcement or some country did this or the vaccines at this place in development and this many deaths and this many cases and bam, 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 bam. I mean, I mentioned this later. We'll have Andrew and Andrew Maxfield on for an interview here in just a little bit to talk about his piece. But. I just feel like everything is going so fast that if we don't take a second to su- to suspend time for ourselves and to pause and reflect in this moment, we won't really get a really good opportunity to do that again like as a whole society, as a global society really. So then I got thinking about meditation and what what music embodies meditation so what are some principles of meditation i thought and it was like you know you think a lot about your breathing you think a lot about openness like vast expanse space you think of stillness i mean i don't practice like i know there's an art to meditation where you like actually meditate and think of nothing and all this kind of stuff, or maybe, maybe that's a misperception. I don't know. I know that for me, praying is a form of meditation where I'm stilling my mind, thinking about things that are higher than myself and focusing on just the moment of suspension of time that I'm in, in the current moment. And I thought there's a lot of, musical concepts musical techniques that recreate that feeling and kind of recreate that the spirit of meditation in some of the texts and time periods and so I got got to work piecing that together because it really settled well so the first person I thought of was Hildegard and you'll hear Andrew and I talk about a, a large amount of the program as we go but But to kind of touch on it, I I think that Hildegard is the perfect way to start the concert because you have that drone, you have that single line chant monophony. It's like the most basic, exposed, intricate, intimate sound of unison monophonic singing. So I'm going to play a short little 15 second clip of the Hildegard piece, O Virtus Sapientiae, which is the piece that we will open the concert with. The other thing that's hard when you're when you're putting together a program of music is is you don't want it to all sound the same or to be boring, even if you're trying to get this kind of repetitive, stillness, meditative characteristic to come across. So I was like, well, what's what should what should come next? What are some other pieces I can team up with? I knew I had, I had Andrew's piece and I had Hildegard, and this kind of was my starting point and. The next composers that came directly to my mind were John Tavner and Arvo Pert. And Arvo Pert, his piece follows directly after the Hildegard with no applause. And if you think about the idea of the singing bowl that Andrew and I will talk about, this metal bowl that you that, that when it's hit, it, it rings. And it rings forever, and you hear those overtones just suspended in the air. It's almost like they're floating like snowflakes or something, or like this mist of sound particles. And Arvo Parrott was able to recreate that after he kind of reached this peak of, you know, an oversaturation, what we talked about with the Andrew special of his kind of avant-garde style, he looks back to this, this concept. So he, he takes what he calls tintinabulation, is a compositional technique that he coined, and it's recreating the idea of a bell. So a bell, when you ring it, it has this, like I said, those suspended overtones. So he would, he plays around with an entire piece of music really revolves around one triad, one chord suspended in the air, one single pedal tone with a melody dancing around it. And so he does the same thing Hildegard does, but with a different kind of harmonic, more contemporary harmonic language. But it's the same exact concept. And he plays a lot with silence and music, and those vast moments of silence between phrases really brings your mind to this meditative state of you completely get lost and have no idea how long the piece is. It's incredible. So that's kind of the beginning of the program singing bowl, is this Hildegard Arvo Pert sensation. then we kind of sink down into the singing bowl again a concept that Andrew and I will touch on actually right now but first I want to play the opening just again like 15 seconds of the opening of the Arvo Pert Magnificat which is the next piece on our program So, Andrew Maxfield's actually joining us, a regular on the show. Welcome back. Hey. So, talk to us about this singing bowl.
1: Well, uh, the singing bowl is a piece I wrote last year, late last year. And it's, uh, you know, at a technical description, it's a piece for une- It's a setting of a text by the Reverend Dr. Malcolm Geit, who is a poet and songwriter in the UK. He's a chaplain at uh, University of Cambridge in uh, college, the Girton College, that's what it is. And um, I wrote it in fact for a competition that was sponsored by the King Singers, uh, their new music prize and ultimately uh, received a special commendation from the new music prize for the piece.
0: Nice. So that being said, tell us tell me too and us everyone in the general not you vicinity <laughs> about how how that piece kind of fits in with the rest of the music on the program and, and how you feel like it connects maybe to early music in general.
1: I was looking at the concert program and you've put together a really cool program. I'm really excited about this. Um, and I do think there is a connection. So I, I rewrote, I wrote a list of the pieces in chronological order rather than concert mm-hmm. order to try to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so we go from Hildegard von Bingen. we're looking at 11th century right there. Guillaume du Fay in 14th century uh victoria in i guess that's like turn of the 17th century and then we then we fast forward we take this like super leap <laughs> in, into the 20th century with ervo Pert john tavener jonathan dove and this other guy uh maxfield somebody and um, I, th- I believe it's maxfield
0: it's, Max to- it's pronounced maxfield actually
1: oh yes <laughs> Guilla- guillaume du maxfield i'm yes. i'm sort of jealous of <laughs> Um you know. Wait, like say that Macho. again, you cut out. I just feel like uh, Oh, I'm I'm jealous of all the Guillaume's. I know. Dufayi and Macho, you know. It's it's kind of epic sometimes you like name. you get a cool name with something no oh. Yeah. Well and also the Vaughn. You know, yeah, Hildegard yeah. Vaughn being in the new Ludwig Von Beethoven. I'm yeah I that's... just I'm Throw me a bone here. I could be like Guillaume <laughs> von Maxfield or something. Uh,
0: yeah, dude, that sounds legit. Maybe you should start telling people your name is pronounced Maxfield.
1: Well, I don't know. It might um, bump up my album sales. You know what I'm saying? I I think so. A little mystique. Yeah, curb appeal. <laughs> curb appeal. Oh, man, I need so much help on curb appeal. but. Uh anyway that that is for a different conversation but I I was sort I was asking myself kind of what's the common thread and I actually was using that word and that reminded me of this idea that Nadia Boulanger talked about called la grande ligne or the long line and um Aaron Copeland talking about Boulanger said that it was this all, her all-embracing principle, the, the long line. And what is the long line? Well, I think it it describes this phenomenon of of an elegant piece of music that lifts you up somehow, transports you, and then delivers you at the end. It's that mm. that long trajectory. And my mentor, Philip Lasser, describes music as a spiraling tapestry. So it's, you know, it's this thing that's woven out of overtones in and over time, sort of this x-axis of time. And the stitch pattern level stitch pattern of that tapestry is the organic line, which is produced through the discipline of counterpoint and i think if you look at the earliest of these pieces the hildegard Dufay victoria what you're what you're seeing really is only line yeah right and you look at so i mean the the especially hildegard right Over to and i love the strength of wisdom what a beautiful idea but it's just line yeah and you know to to those of us growing up in this uh, millennia, this you know, whatever <laughs> Yeah. Uh, like come on come on we got you know we, we got uh we got harmony to to construct here we and don't have texture
0: and rhythm and yeah. meter and
1: yeah i mean like exciting. Uh, we're, we're off to the we're off to the races before we even pause to listen against mine and when you hear her pieces, granted, you know, granted, time they're all formed with drones, uh, maybe the way that they they, they would have been then, but it's this this perfect exposure of the long line, and yeah. it, this is so far before we had any uh, conventions around, um, what we talk about harmony now, that the line really feels endless. I think that's a that's a quality mm. of of modal music to begin with. It can just keep going, going in going and it really is the long line only the long line yeah and then when you get into dofai you have long lines but they happen to be multiple long lines overlapping with each other and that's true in victoria too and it's like this elegant swelling of individual lines and the and the the way they uh, you know the moments of confluence are just but um, piece because you know, because they're old, we call them early music. Um, but I think the thing they have in common with each other is that this was this was all pre-harmony. It was yeah. all pre-templated dance moves of of like you know in the amadeus movie where the mozart character is going one to the five to the one to the five to the one five one five one five one five one, five, one. <laughs> you know yeah there was none there was none of that now i mean right. they had their own they had their own formulas for cadences and and there were conventions but it was it was before all of the rule books had been codified harmonically right uh, and And I also think that this music was kind of pre-ego. And what I mean by that is that at this time, you know, music was, uh, I'm not saying that the individual's writing were I don't know, Guillaume Dufay, egotistical person (laughs) as anybody else. But the the music, um, you know, this was all religious music. It was in service of... The church of, in service of the divine, so to speak. I think you can say that authentically about Hildegard's music being, yeah, uh, an act of mystical devotion.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Um, I think of her as this kind of remarkable Renaissance woman, except that she was pre-Renaissance, so that's just kind of funny. Um, <laughs> She's Renaissance but, you know, before
0: Renaissance was cool.
1: You know oh yeah, I, yeah. That's the right. OG. She was the the pre- Renaissance, the pre eh, whatever. I mean, but. <laughs> But you know I mean she was this like multifaceted person but for her um there was no question that this was a an act of devotion and oh, yeah. the com- the composer as ego the creative ego I think was the, emerged later and at this right. point in history um we didn't even really have the idea of composer so much just as musician Right. You know, musician musicians were were you you all had the same kind of training. You uh, you you learned how to sing on on the book, uh, and it was all about singing a line and then adding a line that you that maybe that you created, but you're adding it to something that you received. And it was, I think, pre ego. That's how I yeah. That's how I would describe this. Um, so then we take this cosmic leap from you know when. Thomas Luis de Victoria dies in sixteen eleven. Right. That's a while ago. To when uh, Ervo Parrot was born in nineteen thirty-five. And and it occurs to me, Cameron, that you have uh skillfully excerpt removed, you've skipped over the Baroque, the classical, the romantic. Uh <laughs> huh. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, the point is... <laughs> I'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. But here, here's what I'm getting at. If I were making kind of a leap of uh, faith, some conjectures here, what yeah. I see in composers like Parrott and Tavener especially, and I, I know a little bit of Jonathan Dove's music, and I heard some of it performed with him in person in the wow. London, London Festival of Contemporary Church Music two years ago.
0: Wow, that's amazing. So I,
1: I, I know categorically what his stuff sounds like but i don't actually right. know the, the piece that's on the program but here's here's what i hear particularly in parrot you know after he pushes his um characteristically um work as far right go.
0: that avant-garde yeah i
1: mean he, he yeah. was a person of his time yeah but then he says uh this isn't this isn't doing it for me
0: yeah this isn't this isn't
1: isn't sufficient (laughs) well where where does he go he goes back to the Mm pre-ego music into the long line and is that going back or is it going forward but in a different way and i think that what we love about Parrot. And I've, I mean, I've listened to some of his avant-garde, his, his, you know, modernist works and they're cool, but I think what we love about him, about his music, the stuff that sticks around is that he combines this sort of, um, pre-ego, uh, endless line with some of the procedures that he, he developed in his, modernist ways uh certainly but you wind up with music that sounds peculiarly like the stuff that's coming from those previous centuries right uh it's it's carved so meticulously from overtones with such an an attention to the sonorities of perfect consonants that that echo in these reverberant spaces and um in in I think in a lot of ways it's very new very old music and yeah I, and there's something that just works about that
0: yeah well and you know to kind of piggyback onto that pre-ego and and the concept of of finding this long thread and new old music and again, Bringing it back to the title of Songs of Meditation, it's re- there's a quote by Arvo Parrott that's so amazing. He says, you can kill people with sound. If you can kill, then maybe there is also sound that is the opposite of killing. And the distance between these two points is very big. And you are free. You can choose. In art, everything is possible, but everything is not necessary. Oh, man. Yeah. Never, just like,
1: never were truer words spoken. And yeah. I, you, but I feel like, like you... You don't get to insights like that except through hardship, maybe suffering, maybe mm, sure. ch- challenges that are that are coming from every level, both artistic and uh, you know from from life and the universe and everything. Right. Um,
0: and and you you realize that 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 causes you to to reflect on the absolute core fundamental building block of your life and your art form, uh, depending on what you're doing. And so this, to me, is his return to that fundamental like singular line with that drone tone. He combines with New Age harmonies, but he's really doing the same exact thing that Hildegard is doing.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. Well, and I mean, if, if you think about... I mean, maybe this gets a little bit abstract, but if you think about the monophony of a piece like Hildegard's *Overtus* in a reverberant space, where you, oh yeah, where you hear pitches accumulating because of reverb, right, decaying together, conflicting with each other, bumping into each other, um, you know, that's a that's a phenomenon that uh, Dr. Lasser, my mentor, talks about as hanging pitches.
0: Mm. Yeah, because I remember when he was on the Andrew special, yeah. and we talked about, there's totally harmonies happening.
1: Absolutely. Beca-
0: because of reverb, you know?
1: Yeah, people were, I, I, in fact, I was, I think we talked about this. I was in the Lady Chapel at Ely Cathedral, and it has this, like, endless reverb. I sat in there, and, and I sang in harmony with myself, because there was, yeah. like, There's a 12 second delay
0: that's insane
1: but you think about it and a monophony like hildegard could actually resemble the harmony that you're hearing from parrot because the phenomenon that music is actually happening in a real physical space
0: yeah so cool
1: and you don't get that from traditions like uh i don't know maybe like the sacred Harbour things where people are shouting in smaller spaces and it's this like it's its its own aesthetic and it's they're in a tent yeah.
0: Like they're in a revival tent in the middle of the woods. Like they got nothing yeah. coming back to them after that sound leaves their mouth.
1: Yeah. And it's, uh, anyway, I think that's kind of an interesting connection across centuries. So you, I feel like the pieces that, that are more modern have in, they, they have, they share in common with the earlier works an attention to the long line, uh, sort of E, um, trying to be in some way not ego driven uh i think both because of their subject matter their devotional quality the the fact that the lines are so exposed and there's yeah. lots of room to hear and to think like i think about like a lot of the early music being kind of like a stone arch in a gothic cathedral but imagine that there's no other decor in the building, and you're just sitting there looking at this weightless stone, and mm. you're thinking, Wow. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. You know, you're like, you like you like it's stone, but it's in the air, and it's uh, you know, it's kind of like yeah. you just see the math revealed and the right. magic of that one feat. It's very exposed. And I think I love music that that lets you that gives you enough space space to think while you're listening. Yeah. And I feel like that you you get that in Parrot, you get that in Taverner, you get that in Dufay, certainly. And um but I don't feel the same way about like when I'm listening to the Ligeti Requiem, which honestly is a piece that I like. It's a cool right. it's a piece, but there's so many moving parts and it's clamoring for my attention all the time. Right. And I can't stop thinking. Yeah, I can't lose myself in it the way that I feel that this is me, my personal reaction. This isn't like an aesthetic judgment. I just right. don't. I have a harder time getting lost in that piece at, at, compared to listening to you know Victoria. Right. So I guess if I were then to comment on what does my piece have in common with these, um, I was I was gonna say like I. I'm the most living of these composers, but then I realized, wait, no parrot still alive? Dove is certainly still alive. He's my parents' age, so I, I couldn't use that joke. Um, <laughs> so I, so I didn't. Except that I just did. But so you're the youngest. Said, the youngest. <laughs> I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest. I am the youngest of the composers. And and at, I mean, at your age,
0: that's got to be something that you gotta. I mean, you gotta latch on to that being the youngest as long as you can, because dude, I don't know how much longer. You're gonna be able to hang on to that.
1: Okay, that stings. <laughs> if we Dude, that's by
0: humor. I just can't. I can't not.
1: Your humor feels like stones. Do you do you in, do you intend that?
0: It's because I watch The Office constantly.
1: <laughs> here's here's a couple. Just a couple thoughts on my piece. So, I loved the text. When I read the text, I just. I loved it because I felt like it has that egoless quality. Mm, yeah i i'm'm I'm, I'm kind of sick of composers that are obsessed with self-expression, like that's the beginning and end of their job. like right. it's so important that they express themselves all the time. I okay, fine, whatever. that's just not my jam. i um I like what David Conti, he's a, a fine mm. teaches in at San Francisco Conservatory um, who mentored me one summer. Um, yeah, I
0: like david David's work.
1: Yeah. And he says that when you're setting a text, you're in an object relationship with the text, meaning that you're serving mm. the text, you're serving the words, you have a job to do. And, yeah. and I think when you look at really sensitive text settings, including those by the on this program by the, the early music composers, um, you see sort of a selfless devotion to the text I'm not saying the people are selfless selfless I'm just saying that in the text settings there's this attention to revealing something about the words
0: and and maybe the approach of composers in general of the time period was much less like we have to express ourselves even if maybe like you said maybe Dufay was an egotistical person but he he approached the music differently I'm sure
1: with those sort of attitudes as a backdrop, when I read the text, I thought, oh, this is this is useful. This is beautiful. This is interesting. I like this. And I liked the of a singing bowl, which is the title of the poem. And it says, you know, begin the song exactly where you are. And it sort of invites you into a meditation. And I love the idea of this like shimmering, overtone rich sound of a singing bowl. Um, yeah. When you listen to you know, I think they—it's uh, idiophones, right? The category of instruments that uh, you. Am I am I getting that right? I don't remember. I, anyway. I,
0: I am like fairly certain, but now I'm scared. <laughs> so yeah,
1: it's okay. But think about like symbols and other things that you, uh, other metal things that you tap. Metal has this very like complex, rich sort of overtone um, picture. Yeah. And, you, and it's interesting. It's just inherently interesting because you can hear so many upper partials. Yeah. And. I love. I've been spending five years now studying um, counterpoint um, with the intent of trying to be able to write organic
0: line, organic line.
1: Tap into this long line of long lines. <laughs> but it's all yeah. about, and and I also have. I, I love the the cadential conventions of early music. I love their attention to. Um, resonant sonorities to um, uh, perfect consonants as a resting point. And so, and, I, and, and there's other features too, like uh, imitative counterpoint. So for example, mm-hmm. the, the beginning of the Dufayi, uh, oh no, no, sorry, the Victoria starts right. where you have each of the entering voices imitating the other. And that's that's a you know, sort of a hallmark of that era right. you know, of writing. And it's so cool. It's always satisfying. You hear yeah. you, you're like you you hear the voices come in and you're like, dang, how did he do that? That's really cool. And you watch people in the audience. Who don't know anything about music and they perk up because like oh wow the thing that just happened sounded like the thing that happened before (laughs) (laughs) and it never
0: and you're right it never gets old it never gets old
1: it never gets old uh partially i think as a singer it's so satisfying because when you enter it's like you're part of the tapestry anyway so i love procedures and devices like that and so um i tried to be relatively egoless but maybe if i'm trying to be egoless that's an active ego what do i know but <laughs> point but the point is uh, yeah i know it was just like this like
0: spiral downwards like of my circling my, philosophy
1: i know my t- it's my puppy chasing its tail but <laughs> um but the the singing bowl text invites people into a meditation yeah it it the singing bowl itself is an object offers an overtone series as an organizing principle and then my interest in um, strict counterpoint in compositional from this early early music practice explains basically how i created the lines that make up the piece and then for those who care about this kind of thing the shape of the piece is actually the shape of a singing bowl you start on the upper edge of the bowl, and it's um, sharp and precise, and dun 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 yeah, da, da 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 with kind of like a Renaissance madrigal kind of <laughs> yeah. feeling. But it's very, it's 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 a little spicier and more precise. It's but like crisp. It, yes, crisp. It's crisp, like a wafer. Uh, I was going to say iceberg lettuce, but uh, <laughs> like uh, a lettuce wrap with the wafer inside.
0: Yes. It sounds deliciously dry. Are you ready
1: for are you ready for lunch now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the bowl. Crisp, metallic, uh precise, um energetic thing. It's a it's a sonnet, and so you're dealing with iambic pentameter. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah. And uh that's a little weird to set for people who've tried to do settings of iambic pentameter. Hello Shakespeare settings. But yes. uh, it lends itself pretty well to this kind of fun and off-kilter sound. Right, asymmetrical да, rhythm. Da, da, giving... Anyway, so you slip from that down into the center of the bowl where time kind of stops. Yeah. And it talks about kind of giving yourself into things that are timeless And I, you know, I I love the fact that Parrot makes me completely lose track of time. There's this like, yeah, endlessness in it. And, uh, you know, in our modern era where the news cycles are like every 15 seconds and something is floating down there and everything, I just want timelessness sometimes. Yeah. And so you, you get you 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 drop down into the middle of the bowl and there's some imitate, imitative counterpoint between a soprano soloist and a tenor soloist, and then you sink a little bit further in and there's just these tall harmonies that actually resemble the overtones of a singing bowl. Right. Yeah. That are that's literally just spelling out the overtone uh overtones in order. Yeah. Uh, now in jazz we call that a an altered dominant chord you know right right a, a b flat 7 sharp 11 or sharp 11
0: flat 13.
1: yeah or just, you say i don't the, think a thing but <laughs> yeah, it's, a ver, it's a verticalization of the acoustic scale or it's like we can think of lot of ways to explain this but it really in this case it's just listening to a singing bowl shimmering and then at yeah. some point you work you, you work your way up out of the middle of the bowl and there you are on the other edge and you kind of end the way that you began which is also how the text and right it ends exactly exactly where it, you are where you were so that was my best attempt at drawing a little thread yeah. from hildegard von bingen down to guillaume von maxfield <laughs>
0: i think it's fantastic
1: <laughs> I, and
0: it works but that's why I, that's why you know That's why when you approached me and were like, hey, there's this piece, and I was like, I really did. I built the program around your piece of like, okay, what now? What is some larger philosophical connections? And now, how okay, now what about this musical connection and that meditative state of timelessness? Is I think this whole concert. The whole goal is to get people to say, hey, you know what? This past year, even though it's been like, hey, we're closed down and we're locked down and we're, we've are we slowed down, quote, unquote, I don't actually think we slowed down. I actually still think we sped up because yeah. it was like, okay, what are the numbers today? What are the numbers today? When is the vaccine coming? What about this news thing? What about this news thing? What about the election? What about, well, and then so-and-so said this, so-and-so said this, the news says this, the article, article, just like barrage after barrage after barrage kept going exponentially increasing in its speed. And so to get this this program to be like, we're going to forget that everything's here. We're just going to slow down completely and it's all, we're just floating. And yeah. I think your piece really captures that. Oh, thank especially you. Especially in that middle section, especially, right? I mean, the, the edges, sure, but the whole point is to take that journey and in that journey, yeah. we, we feel that weightless at the bottom before we come back up.
1: Yeah, you can't you can't listen to the taverner and also be an impatient person. Right, right. It, it's just gonna hold you for a while. And yeah, I feel like I mean I am so looking forward to this concert after the year of no live music and no live singing. And to me, I feel like it's an Im- invitation to everybody just sort of like come exfoliate the scales that you've built up after a really tough year yeah just come shed that and lose yourself in the timelessness of the long line and kind of renew yeah and that's like exactly
0: what i wanted is people who come or and to and or watch the live stream it's like actively listen Turn everything else off and just listen, watch, follow along the program with the text or whatever, and just and 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 really let people feel that. I think is definitely the mission of the concert, and I think your program sits kind of in that middle spot. It is that perfect peak of the bottom of the concert bowl as well. So it, it yeah, it, it's cool.
1: Fabulous. Well. Count me as one who's very excited for the concert.
0: Nice. Okay. Counted. Tallied it. So if you think of the program itself as a singing bowl, those first three pieces represent kind of starting on the edge and sinking down into the center. The sinking down into the center, the centerpiece of the program is, is really kind of Andrew's piece musically, but also then... The music of Guillaume Dufayi, which you heard Andrew and I kind of touch on. Now, the reason why I love Dufayi is hard to explain. But as I've mentioned in previous episodes, the music of Dufayi hit me like a bell over the head. And Dufayi is... Solely responsible for the birth of Sound of Ages. There's no other way to say it. So this piece, Ave Maristella starts with chant. Again, to me personally, there's nothing more holy, sounding, or meditative than chant. And then it, it goes this verse, then chant, then verse, then chant. Form back and forth, and this beautiful three part harmony. And there's something about three parts because without the fourth part, you know, most of the time we think choir, oh, soprano, alto, tenor, bass. But in the medieval time, they didn't really think that way. And he's com- combining in this sort of polyphonic slash homophonic texture. It's to me it's almost like simultaneous polyphony where they all kind of have their own thing but they're moving and ebbing and flowing together in these sort of planing this planing pattern and with the use of three notes there's no fourth note to double just like what we had talked about in the Andrew special last week with there's no fourth note. There's no, like, tonality. Nothing's being doubled. And that creates this feeling of openness somehow. And, and every single cadence ends with this perfect consonance, this perfect opening. And it is going back and forth between that chant and the verse which is note for note the same each time, really to me represents sinking down into the bowl of timelessness because this music happened so long ago, but it still speaks, you know, now. And that being said, then we go right into the John Tavener piece. So before I move on, I will play a short clip of the Dufayi, the end of the chant into the first part of the verse. Here is Ave Maristella by Guillaume Dufay. Okay, now on to John Tavner. Funeral ecos. This is another piece that when I first heard it, it was so impactful to me. So the first time I heard this, I was on a bus in London for our uh, BYU's choral study abroad, and we had just finished we were just leaving like a tenebrae rehearsal that we were observing or something, and I bought the CD uh, uh, Songs of Farewell by Tenebrae and this song was on it and I was just I started at the beginning and just listened all the way through and I heard this and I was immediately taken in and I remember thinking this is so beautiful and every time it got to the refrain of alleluia I was expecting it to be slightly different each time I didn't know it was by John Tavener at the moment I just was kind of listening with my eyes closed. And I was expecting it to be different. Like, oh, this time, it's like this. And then the next time, it'll be the same. And then this time, it's going to change. And then when it got to the last time, I was like, okay, it's some, it's going to end differently, though. And it didn't. And I was like, wow, that is like powerful. Because it it's similar to the Dufi. And it's Note for note, the same. Each refrain is the exact same. And that repetition lulls us into meditation. And I also love the verse. So it starts with chant, like straight-up chant, melodic shape. And then the cool thing that Taverner's known for is, you know, as the melody goes up in the first part, then that happens later, but then it splits into three parts again. There's that three-part texture, but the lower harmony is a—it's like if you flipped the soprano harmony upside down or the, the tenor harmony upside down, and it's note for note perfect mirror just in the opposite direction of the melody. And it's so profound and creates this open symmetry, kind of like the bowl. And to me, it is it is the Dufy piece, 20th century, 20th century version. And to me, represents then, okay, we've if If we take the concert as the bowl <laughs> again, we're now coming we're just like coming out of that meditative state. we're still holding on to it, but we're we're stepping upwards. And to me, the taverner piece represents that because again, all these musical concepts are the same, but we jumped, you know five hundred years into the future. So here's a short clip of John Tavener, Funeral ECOS. Now, that piece will melt right into Victoria's piece from his Lamentations of Jeremiah. And this is Heth Misericordiae. Heth is the Hebrew word for eight, I believe. And there's something so pure and open about Victoria's counterpoint. It's like Palestrina, but with maybe a little bit more emotion. Eh. Well, anyway, that's debatable, but to me, Victoria, Palestrina, all his contemporaries represent the peak of the Renaissance, of like the Renaissance style, anything after them starts to look forward into the Baroque, but all of this stuff from Hildegard, Dufay, uh you know you talk about Josquin. you talk about heinrich isock you talk about the early british renaissance composers like john taverner that's another discussion taverner and taverner taverner's at the taverner who knows maybe they got the name because they spent so much time at the tavern other cool discussion maybe yeah let's put a pin in that so the, the Every single composer kind of leads up to this pinnacle, in my mind, of what is Palestrina, Victoria, and the, and their contemporaries. After this, we get into, you know, that's kind of the top of the mountain, then we start rolling down the mountain into the Baroque time period. And so this concept of cascading, imitative polyphony, meterless, um, ambiguous rhythms, and open sonorities and, you know, th- sparse, not sparse, but spaced out texture between lines. And that's not always the case, but that concept of openness really peaks with Victoria and Paustrina, And I think this piece represents that in the text as well. And so that's why I wanted to incorporate the, the Victoria piece you know the steadfast love of the lord never ceases his mercies never come to an end so to me that's this timeless idea it is good for man that he bear the yoke in his youth jerusalem return to the lord your god suspended in time then we return to the to, to god and that meditative in a in a sacred sense is the pattern of meditation so i i think that this is really the last moment we get where we're thinking this way before music starts to turn really ornate really complex not again not that the music before this wasn't complex but the perspective and lens through which it's viewed starts to maybe shift into a more vertical harmonic language and slightly less about the line which then, you know, culminates with Mozart of, you know, 151515 five, one five, that Andrew talked about. So, to me this is we're we're on our way back up the back side of the singing bowl, stepping out into the we've reached the pinnacle, we are coming to this really open sweet sonority. We've healed. We've done the healing. We're coming out of it now, back to to get back to the top of the edge. So here's a short clip of Victoria's "Heth Misericordiae." So we've arrived at the back edge of the singing bowl. We we have gone through this suspension, and we're about to step back into time and into busyness, but with a new perspective, with healing, with rejuvenated energy. Have you ever just felt like, oh man, I think of after a really good workout or like you you have this crazy time and you take a moment to just pause whatever you do to reset recharge your battery to think to be suspended for me honestly this sounds weird ice hockey is kind of meditative that lack of friction you're chuckling to yourself i can hear it but it's real the the this the suspension on the ice with no friction to me and then the 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 endorphins that get going when i'm exercising it and i i have no idea how much time's passed when i'm playing and it really helps me to reset and after a game i am just i'm so hyped i can't even sleep i start rethinking all the plays from that game of like oh man that was awesome Or, man, I should have made that pass. Or, if I would have just shot that a millisecond earlier, I wouldn't have got it blocked. Or, whatever. But, find something that, you know, whatever it is in your life that helps you to pause and reset. I hope this concert can contribute to that. That music, I mean, besides my relationship with God and my faith, my wife ice hockey, and music, and, and you know, my family, my, uh, my parents and my brother. But really, music is another thing that makes me feel suspended in time. And so I hope that you will come to the concert, you'll tune in to the live stream, you'll catch the archived live stream on YouTube, on our website, and... Take time to to put headphones on. If If you're not there in person, take time to put headphones on. Don't do anything else. Like don't be reading or listen in the background. And just let yourself follow the text or close your eyes and let yourself be suspended and be still. And feel what that does to your emotional health, to your spiritual health, and to your physical health. So as we come out of the bowl, we arrive at the final piece on the program, Jonathan Dove's piece, Him That Maketh the Seven Stars. And to me, this piece has such a meditative quality to it as well, with all the same musical principles and concepts we've been talking about. And then you accompany that, accompany that with organ, and there's this light to the to the music, and this counterpoint, and it's like the culmination of all these concepts with a with a contemporary voice, culminating in one moment of okay, we did it, we we started, we sunk down into this meditative state of stillness, and now we're coming out, we're back into the world with new perspective and new energy. And I hope this concert does that. So we'll end the podcast today a little differently. We won't have our normal outro music, but I'll play a short little 15-second clip of Jonathan Dove's piece, Him That Maketh the Seven Stars. Be sure to check out the concert, check out soundofageschoir.com for any updates, and we'll catch you next time on Early Music Monday.